Welcome to Taking Notes with NextGen Venture Partners, where we have interesting conversations with entrepreneurs and innovators in the NextGen investing ecosystem. I'm your host, Dan Mindis. We hope you enjoy the discussion. My guest today is Andrew Platt, co-founder and CEO of STAT. NextGen is a happy investor in STAT, which is a tool that automates the gathering and analysis of public policy information. Andrew and I talk about his time as a state legislator, a congressional staffer, and the head of policy at a venture-backed startup, and the challenges he faced by not having a tool like STAT. I think Andrew has a compelling vision for the future, and I hope you find the conversation interesting. Andrew, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Dan. Let's start with what STAT is. Yes. So STAT is the world's first automated policy and regulatory intelligence platform search engine. My background used to work on Capitol Hill. I spent about 10 years as a public policy professional, first as a Capitol Hill staffer. And then I uh, looked around when I was on the Hill and saw all the members of Congress and thought, maybe I could do this job one day down the road. Did a bunch of research and found the best way to become a member of Congress is to be a state legislator first. So I moved back to my hometown in Maryland, Gaithersburg in Montgomery County, and ran for the state legislature. Got elected at the ripe old age of 25 and served for four years there, and then joined a next-gen venture-backed company, Vimo Education, as its head of public policy. And after about two and a half, three years at Vimo, that rounded out about a decade of being a policy professional. And it was really when I joined the private sector and was at Vimo and saw all of the great information, informatics, analytics, and software tools that counterparts who ran sales and marketing, accounting, you name it, they had all of these great software products. And I looked back at my tenures in the policy space and said, wait a minute, what do we have? We basically have our phones to make phone calls to try to gather human, which is human intelligence. We have Google and the news, which is kind of crazy because it was late 2019 at the time. Don't you have uh, pneumatic tubes also running for <laughs> Congress, something like that? <laughs> yeah. I said, this is crazy. Like, it's insane that there are hundreds of thousands of policy professionals across the country who work for the private and the public and the philanthropic sector. And they basically don't have anything that's been built for them to make their jobs easier. And so I decided to scratch my own itch. Uh, and I started working on the idea a little bit, doing a ton of research, talking to a ton of folks who I sort of defined as core power users or who would be core power users and created a bunch of different user personas. And then I started talking with some actual software engineers and I said, how would you build this? Well, I said, A, is it technically feasible? And they said, it, it is technically feasible. You couldn't have done this about five or six years ago. I think the computing costs would have been too much and it just would have been a little difficult. But you're going to hit right at about the time where it's technically feasible at sort of an internal unit economics where it makes sense to do it as an actual company. And so we started working on it, um, started building it, sketching it out, prototyping it. And here we are today, signing our first few clients. And what we've done is we've basically built this policy and regulatory intelligence search engine, which allows our users and our clients to search, track, and analyze and, and get visualized as well. The, the massive amount of policy and regulatory intelligence from policy influencers and policy stakeholders across the country. And you might wonder, well, what the heck is a policy influencer or a policy stakeholder? Those are think tanks, advocacy organizations, trade associations, and policy-oriented academic institutes and research centers. 
These are the organizations who originate, source, shape, determine, and influence where policy and regulatory conversations, landscape, and dialogue even go. They determine how lawmakers at the federal and the state level and their staff, regulators at the federal and state level and their staff, the media, and eventually the general public think about an issue ranging from how the economy should be structured or restructured to how a particular industry should be regulated to whether or not, say, the U.S. military should perform a military strike at a certain time on a certain location in the globe. There are tens of thousands of these organizations producing an incredible amount of information, and nobody has structured it in a way so that it's actually searchable, trackable, and that you can analyze it in near real time. And so that's what we've done. We think we're going to really empower folks who work in this space to make more informed decision-making, to be hyper-aware in a way that they aren't today. And this is an industry where information is a huge competitive edge and an advantage. Information is basically its own currency in the policy space. And so we've built a platform and a product that delivers that information to you in a way that's easily consumable, searchable, and that you can do your work a whole lot easier. Andrew, I think a lot of the people listening to this will not be terribly familiar with what a policy professional does all day long. So maybe you could you know, sketch that out. What are they doing today to access the kind of information you're providing, but in, in the absence of stat? Yeah, for sure. So there are different types of policy professionals. There are folks who work in the public policy space in the private sector. So maybe they work for a policy regulatory or public affairs team in-house at a, at a corporation or a company. There are policy professionals who work in the public sector. Maybe they work for a federal or state government office. They work for a legislator. They work for a regulatory authority or a department or an agency. Or maybe they work in the nonprofit and philanthropic space. They work for a think tank itself. They work for an advocacy organization or a trade association. But essentially, all of these folks do somewhat similar work in that they research, compile, analyze, and come up with their own proposals for a range of policy and regulatory topics and issues. They produce white papers, they produce policy proposals, research papers, briefs, and the like to try to create and disseminate ideas and turn those ideas into action, typically through some sort of governance process, through a legislative vehicle, through a regulatory enforcement action or proposal or rule, or they try to gin up a bunch of media coverage to sort of let folks know that an issue should get paid attention to, and then try to insert into the conversation maybe how they should think about it. So an example could be a policy professional might spend two weeks doing research on the earned income tax credit and what it means for poverty alleviation, or a policy professional might be studying for three to four months what the U.S. naval posture is in the South China Sea for the past 10 years and what it should be in the next 10 years. So it's pretty broad ranging, but it is mostly a lot of information consumption, research, compilation, and analysis and writing. And it is still mostly manually done today. And so what we've wanted to do is automate quite a bit of that work so that these policy professionals can actually focus on the sort of higher level, higher order work that they sort of got into this industry in the first place to do. You mentioned that this would not have been possible as a company, certainly 10 years ago, maybe five years ago. What are you doing that requires that more recent level of technical sophistication? We are aggregating a massive amount of text-based data 
there have been some advances in the power and scale of computing cost. And then there have also been some decent advances in natural language processing that weren't possible just a few years ago. So we actually have created the first public policy domain-specific summarization service and put that inside of our natural language processing pipeline. So we actually offer the first commercially available policy summarization service so that for every policy and regulatory intelligence piece you see in our platform, you actually get a paragraph summary of the piece too. So we've kind of automated out a beat reporter in that way as well, which is pretty neat and saves folks a lot of time so they don't actually necessarily have to read an entire piece themselves. They can read our stat summary and see if it's worth something um, that they should consider a little bit more. So you mentioned that in building stat, you were scratching your own itch. Maybe you could walk us through an example of what's something you did in your 10 years as a policy professional that in retrospect, you might be saying, gosh, I would have saved a lot of time or I could have done that a lot better if I had had stat back then. Yeah, for sure. So when I was on Capitol Hill, I worked for a leadership office called the House Democratic Caucus. It serves as a research and analysis arm for all of the House Democratic members. And we were tasked with doing a ton of public policy research and analysis. Requests would come in, we'd have to put together a policy brief and sort of provide to a member's office, hey, this is what organizations have been doing on this issue in the past 12 months, and here's what they're saying. We did all of that manually. It would take anywhere from four to eight hours to produce one brief. And a lot of that time was taken up just by searching and finding and compiling all of that different intelligence and research. When I then joined the state legislature, not a lot of tools built for legislators. We have to do a lot of our research uh, our own or we have staff do it as well. But for example, when I was in the legislature, I actually worked on the, the earned income tax credit. And I wanted to do what's called a landscape survey, landscape analysis, which was, and I was a, a Democratic state legislator. So most of my ideas came from left of center, democratically affiliated sort of organizations. I wanted to see what all of the left of center policy organizations were doing at the state level on the earned income tax credit, basically in the last two years, what ideas and proposals they were putting out, what research they had produced, and if they had any data sets that would be valuable to take a look at. And that took me like three weeks to do. I had one staff, the, the one staff and I worked on it together. It took about three weeks to do. And we put together about a 10-page report, probably about 80 different pieces we went through. And the mere finding of those pieces took quite a bit of time. And then no summarization service. So you had to sort of dig in and see the, the gist of the piece and then sort of contextualize it. That's one issue on one bill. I introduced about 10 to 15 bills a session. So imagine doing that, but for 10 to 15 different things every year. And then also needing to do policy research on maybe issues you have to vote on that you're not even doing legislation on. And then when I joined Vimo, we were, the company still is doing terrific work. Uh, we were working on income share agreements, which is a, a new way to finance post-secondary education. Uh, and there was a lot of public policy and regulatory attention paid to the issue. And I had to quickly get up to speed and then track on a very regular basis what a whole bunch of different policy stakeholders and influencers were doing and saying, not just on income share agreements, but anything that touched income share agreements in higher education finance that would give us any sort of indication into how they might think about income share agreements or, or other things related to ISAs. And there was no tool for me to do that. So I had to spend a lot of manual time 
through my phone, <laughs> through Google and the news, basically putting all of this stuff together. And then once you put it together, there's actually no way to run it through something to get any sort of analytics or visualization on what the text actually says or trends that can be found in the text. And so we've created a product that allows you to do all of this searching and tracking and analyzing, but we also have data analytics visualization in there so you can see visually how an issue is being worked on and who's working on it. So Andrew, when you talk about having no tools, some people might be familiar with companies that might seem to be tools in this space. So Fiscal Note, Bloomberg Government, Quorum, what are those? All great companies. And how do, All great how companies. does that differ? It's a great question. We have created a, a platform that is uniquely different than anything that what's on the market in terms of what software technology can do. The only people who are doing what we're doing are extremely high-priced professional services consultants. You have to pay a minimum of you know $120,000 a year to just to pick up your phone call. Fiscal Note, Quorum, and BGov, they're, they're good companies, but they basically do news and legislative and regulatory tracking. We've gone upstream of that information to actually aggregate and allow our clients to search, track, and analyze the policy and regulatory intelligence that precedes and originates and influences what even becomes legislation, what even becomes a regulatory enforcement action, and what drives the media and news coverage on a particular topic or issue. So our stuff actually gives you a view into the future. And depending on the issue, the topic, and the set of influencers working on it, gives you that view into the future anywhere from a few days to a year. And if you type in some terms into our platform and some of the different features, you can see that, for instance, Section 230, we did a demo today, and they were asking to see the trend section, which is data analytics visualization section of the platform, on Section 230. And our analytics actually showed you that there was a ton of policy influencer activity on Section 230 right before Section 230 started to dominate the news, the media, and the statements of federal and state lawmakers and federal and state regulators. And so we actually go upstream of legislative and regulatory information. We actually allow you to proactively respond to this sort of intelligence and real-time activity that's happening in a way that I think some of the other platforms don't allow you to do. They only allow you to be reactive. It's sort of late stage after the fact information where we actually give you the stuff that matters before folks decide to work on an issue or move on an issue. So one can imagine how that is useful to a policy professional. One could also imagine perhaps how that's useful beyond policy professionals to try to get a jump start on knowing what's coming down the pike for policy or, or regulatory act. That's exactly right. We wanted to allow policy and public affairs professionals to access policy and regulatory intelligence in a way that allows them to proactively respond to things basically before they become an issue. And or, you know, in this space, an ounce of prevention is worth so much more than a pound of the cure. And then on our roadmap, you know, we're creating this platform for policy and regulatory professionals, but there's also a lot that can be done with this data as it relates to showing correlation and potentially even causation with news and media coverage of policy, economic, and regulatory topics and issues. And there's been some fascinating academic research that demonstrates that news headlines on policy and regulatory risk 
not only are positively correlated with, but have a causal effect on equity volatility. And so we've only started to scratch the surface of where we can take this, but we think that policy and regulatory intelligence can actually be connected to a whole bunch of other time series text data sets. And you can do some very interesting and, and we think extremely valuable things in terms of showing predictive analytics on what might be covered in the news. And if that has a big impact on how folks perceive pricing in the markets, then we've created sort of a leading indicator to the leading indicator of today. We're talking in 2021. I'm wondering if you can fast forward a decade. What are your hopes for STAT? Press a button and see the policy, regulatory, economic, and macro snapshot of any issue or topic anywhere in the world. That's pretty succinct. Whether you're a policy professional working in DC or you're an equity analyst, if those still exist in 10 years, and you're going through a 10K of a publicly traded company and you, you come across the regulatory risk section, press the stat button and get a snapshot on the policy and regulatory intelligence in the landscape of what's happening in that company and the space of that company so that you can see if maybe what they're putting in their SEC docs actually lines up with what all of the outside influencers and stakeholders are trying to do to influence the value of that company. I suspect there might be some discrepancies. (laughs) Perhaps, perhaps just a few. (laughs) Andrew, thanks so much for spending time with me today. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Taking Notes with NextGen Venture Partners. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. To learn more about us or to hear all of our past podcasts, please go to nextgenvp.com. And now for some important disclaimers. The information contained in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to purchase any securities. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Any performance or projections contained herein may be significantly affected by future events. Any opinions, assumptions, assessments, statements, or the like regarding future events or which are forward-looking constitute only subjective views and beliefs, should not be relied on, and are subject to change due to a variety of factors, including fluctuating market conditions and economic factors.